At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Real quick before we start the show, just wanted to let you guys know you can get the show two days early by joining our Patreon. Even for a buck, you can listen to the show two days early. Go to patreon.com slash analog talk and we got a bunch of stuff over there. Check it out and uh, yeah, enjoy the episode. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Analog Talk, a film photography podcast. I'm your host, Chris. I'm Tim. And on today's show, we have Greg Hunt. Hi, Greg. How you doing? Good. Hey. Thanks for uh, <laughs> Thanks for joining us. We're super excited to chat. Before we get into all the exciting stuff you have going on, do you mind giving us an introduction on who you are for our listeners who may not know you and how you got into photography? Sure. I am a uh, photographer and filmmaker. I got into photography first in the early mid-90s as a skateboarder. I was a sponsored skateboarder up in the Bay Area. And um, I got into photography primarily through the photographers who I would shoot with and I became friends with as a as mm. a pro skater and then uh i got very heavily into photography very quickly and then that uh got me into cinematography at first just super eight editing my own little films and things and then 16 and then actually transitioning over to work as a cinematographer from being a skateboarder mm. and then uh i moved down to los angeles in 2000 i've been primarily for the first 10, 15 years, I just made skate films, mostly bigger skate films and a lot of the commercials and things around those films. And then I've also been um, directing commercials and music videos and short films and things since. But throughout this time, I've always shot photos as my personal work primarily. Mm, Sounds yeah. like a very fun transition from skateboarding <laughs> to photography to cinematography. Like that's a dream. I guess so. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you when you when you when you're young, when you're young, you don't think about that. You just sort of Yeah. Yeah. You just do you do what you do, you know. I love man, I I'm I'm already like trying not to jump right into your book that you have coming out, but <laughs> yeah. I just think we were just talking about it right before we hopped on here, just because we were we were like, man, where are our first twelve rolls of film? Yeah, <laughs> man. So how how did that all come about? Uh, well, you know, like I said, I I became friends with a lot of the photographers who I hung around with, especially Gabe Morford. Uh, I don't know if you know of him, but he's a legendary mm-hmm. legendary skate photographer, one of the best ever. And uh, we were good friends and eventually roommates. Uh, I think right around prior to becoming roommates, I can't really remember. I was trying to recall earlier, but we uh, we were skating together a lot. I was with him in the car all the time. I'd go with him to the lab to pick up his film. I'd see his process working and then I would see the photos the next day, you know, that type of thing. This Man. is mid nineties when everything was still film. A lot mm. he'd shoot a lot of uh slide film, you know, so it's kind of easy to look at the slides and his uh all his work. So anyway, uh at you know, at some point in early mid ninety five Summers or late spring 95, Gabe gave me a camera, his old Minolta X700 camera. It was a 50, had a 514 and a fisheye. (laughs) And, uh, and, uh, you know, (laughs) perfect for skateboarding. Yeah, I think, you know, it's actually the fisheye I found out was this person, Tobin Yellen's old fisheye, and Tobin is an iconic. Uh, skate photographer so yeah he's a legend it's pretty cool that that i had that camera but you know at the time i think gabe i never asked gabe for a camera i can't remember how that sort of gift (laughs) or transaction 
took place. Yeah. But, um, you know, Gabe was a good friend by that point, and he probably saw that I was really interested in photography and probably asked me a lot of questions. So he gave me this camera, and from what I recall, I shot a roll or two, but primarily just like as a test, you know, like mm. I shot like some stuff in my room, I shot my friend playing guitar, and just to learn the meter and things like that. And I remember when Gabe brought those contact sheets back, being pretty excited that I actually like could take a photo, you know. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Magic, right? Yeah. And then, uh, but right after that, it must have been the same week or so. And I only know this from the actual, I don't have the memory, I just have the film, I have the film. You know, oh, so interesting. right after that, I went on this trip. So at the time, I think I was still amateur. I don't think I was pro yet, but I went on this skate tour, which, you know, at the time in the mid 90s, skateboarding was really small. And if you're a pro, one thing you did is you'd go do demonstrations, skaters call them mm -hmm. demos. And uh, sometimes you do them internationally. You usually you do them domestically. Usually you'd be in a van and you'd go and you'd kind of show up and it'd usually be in like a parking lot or a small skate park. At the time, there weren't nearly as many skate parks. And you'd show up and the locals would see these pros that they see in magazines and videos and you'd skate and you'd hang out and then you'd move on to the next place. You know, usually stay in a motel mm -hmm. and everyone would be in one van. Wow. And I went on uh, a summer tour for my sponsor at the time uh, was, was Stereo Skateboards, uh, part, partly owned by Jason Lee, through this company called Deluxe, which owned Real and Stereo Skateboards, which were mm. really great companies, successful, you know, awesome uh, skate companies at the time. I was really lucky to be a part of that. So, we went on this tour. I was on the whole thing. It was five weeks. It was a uh, oh, round, wow. round trip, San Francisco down through texas in the south and up the east coast and then back and i had just gotten this camera so i was just taking pictures on this trip and um you know the those pictures you know when i got back from that trip and got those pictures back that's when i really kind of fell in love with photography yeah. and started taking yeah. started taking it seriously but on that trip i really didn't consider myself a photographer I had no agenda. I just had this camera that, you know, I, I, I was always pretty creative. I was always drawing and I played the guitar and things like that. So, I had this camera, but it was really just a fun new thing for me to do, you know. So, I knew how to expose, but that's about it, you know. And then I, ob yeah. I obviously yeah. had the influence of, you know, a lot of my friends who were photographers and seeing their work and kind of just, you know, my own instinctual preferences for what types of photography I liked, but I really had no reference to like what makes a good photo. I had no training. Yeah. I had no plan for the photos. I was really just shooting either because I was bored or because it was something fun to do. And a lot of it I think mm -hmm. is because I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit more shy. I'm not super extroverted. So, a lot of times, you know, it would just give me something to do in situations where Normally, I probably wouldn't be as comfortable just hanging out. I know that feeling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was just going to say, yeah. I can relate yeah. to that. So, so, yeah, that's, you know, I shot the photos. I came home um, and that's really what got me heavily into photography. And some of those photos have always been some of my favorite pictures, you know. There was mm. sort of like, I don't know, whether, whether you want to call it innocence or purity with, with what I right. was shooting. I wasn't, I wasn't trying to attain some certain type of photograph. I wasn't trying to kind of be a certain type of photographer or, or anything. I was oh, purely wow. just, yeah. I was purely just taking pictures to take pictures, you know. And um, there's some pictures that I shot that I think, you know, because of that sort of lack of awareness, there's there's something about those photos that I think I probably I'll probably never achieve again as a photographer. Now that I'm aware, oh, wow. I'm actually I'm yeah. a, now I'm self conscious. It's like an un, it's like right. there's no mm -hmm. self consciousness. There's no so you know those photos sat around for a while. I mean I've used them. There's a photo. It's that one right behind me. It's like a Tommy Guerrero album cover of a kid playing guitar. That actually ended up being Tommy saw that Tommy Guerrero who was a pro skateboarder, part owner of Rio Musician, saw that picture of the kid and asked if he could use it for the cover of his first album. That's actually oh, my first paid photo. That's actually wow. one of, really? one of wow. my few, few paid photos. I don't really so, so <laughs> use my photos for stuff like that much. Um, you know, and there's some other photos that I've always kind of used for stuff over the years and shared, but it wasn't until a few years ago that I kind of took another look at all of that work. 
some friends and I were actually talking about collectively doing a book where it was all of our first photos. Oh, and, cool. uh, yeah. But then I kind of looked at mine and I was like, I thought about it and I thought, you know, I think this actually, I don't want to have to edit this down. I want it to just be right. sort of what it needs to be because there is, a, there are some kind of linear narratives in the, even in just what kind of transpired on the trips. It's, it's pretty subtle, but it's there. And uh, yeah. so that's sort of, then I thought, you know, I might make a good book of its own. And then during the shutdown, like everyone else, I was home yeah. a little bit more <laughs> and I basically made the book, you know? Yeah. Wow. Oh. Yeah. What was it like working? How closely did you work with Jason on this book? Because I know it's coming out through. R- really closely. So, you know, Jason and I were, Jason and I were teammates, but I don't think that's the best We were teammates technically, but I don't think that's the best uh, description. He was much more of a mentor to me. You know, he was only he was only a few years older. But Jason, Jason at the time even was a you know legendary skater that a lot of us who are even only most of us in the team were just a few years younger. He was maybe twenty four. We were maybe uh, twenty one, nineteen. Yeah, maybe he was was even twenty two, twenty three. You know, and um, but we all looked up to him, and Jason was a very encouraging, supportive person. You know, he's very mature. Uh, I was very lucky to have someone like that in my life at the time, especially in a creative regard, because he was a he was a real champion of all of us and sort of like what we did. I even I was the only person on the team that was actually going to school, not not even for photography or anything. I was just I was nineteen. I was going to school. Right. <laughs> And uh, he was supportive of that too, you know, and um, that that was sort of our relationship. And that summer of 95, ironically, is when we both sort of had these crossroads where he went on, shot Mallrats that summer and kind of yeah. went on yeah. to pursue acting. And I sort of unknowingly fell in love with photography. At the time, I was like, that summer unknowingly was about to kind of just totally shift into being behind the camera. So, you know, we would see each other here and there over the years, but it really wasn't until 2016 or so that we kind of really connected and I went on a trip with him. He was shooting pictures and I filmed him. We started hanging out more. He moved back to California. You know, I'd come over for his kids' birthday parties. We both have kids. And, um, you know, at one point I kind of just mentioned like, I've got this book, you know, it'd be cool to make. Now that I've actually made this book with Jason, it's like, duh, of course I should have made this book with Jason oh, from the beginning yeah. because <laughs> it's, it's our story, you know, in a lot of ways. Wow. But um, at the time, it didn't even really occur to me. And Jason said he'd really love to publish it. And he was actually really, he became very quickly, very enthusiastic about the project before he even saw the photos. Oh, and then man. when I shared some of the photos with him, he became really excited because there's no photos of skateboarding at all there's one picture in the book of where you can actually see a skateboard and the rest of the book is there's not you can't if you didn't know you wouldn't know why all these people are in these pictures and um i think he was really excited that it was something a lot more kind of candid and you know something that maybe unexpected than he it just wasn't quite i think what he expected so he was really excited and you know we'd kind of just jumped into it and i've made a couple books but i've never made a book uh, the way that I, the way that we made the book, which I would say is actually the proper way to make a book, you know, <laughs> Me, meaning um, doing proof printing, having having, yeah. having duotones made, like all of these these things, which I haven't done in the past. So it was a very amazing just opportunity to hang out with Jason. And for me to learn a lot more about bookmaking. And um, he really invested a lot of time and into this project. And he was really so supportive and excited about the project. And once we sort of actually finished the the technical making of the book, which was a bit intense, that's when I sort of realized, you know, that making the book with Jason was equally as important to me as the book itself. And the experience of, of kind of coming full circle and reconnecting with Jason and kind of creating this book together you know, for me is, um, it's something just as important, you know, as, as the actual, like I'm, I'm as excited about that and proud of that as I am the actual, the actual book. So I was gonna say, did you document any of, of that process? Is there videos like behind the scenes things we'll be able to check there's, out or is it all some fo- just there's for some you? Photos. Yeah. We didn't really document it, you know, I mean, cool. but, the, but there are, there are some pictures. There's, there, there, we had people taking pictures and things like that. So awesome. Yeah. I've loved, skateboarding for eight, eight gazillion years now you know what i mean <laughs> i grew up a, a 80s baby 90s kid mm-hmm. 
doing the whole skateboard thing and just hearing you talk about the demos and in the parking lots and stuff i I've, it's amazing how memories just kind of vanish like that like you were saying that you don't have the actual memories you just have the photos of the thing you know and like you saying that just brought this flash flood of i remember seeing birdhouse in i think the store was called like fishbone or something like that parking lot and just being like this is so i mean Boy, times have changed since uh, <laughs> <laughs> since then. Now, you know, you can sit and find anything on YouTube or the Internet. Right. But you used to actually have to go and seek these things out and, and be a part of it. And, man. Yeah, I agree. I'm glad you kind of brought that back. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, one of the biggest, I, to a degree, skateboarding is very much the same. You know, like I still, yeah. I work with vans still and I do quite a bit of skateboarding stuff still, not as intensely and in the same way as I did years prior but i mean it's still the van it's still almost the same 15 passenger van that everyone's in it the demos sometimes are very similar i mean there's a lot more skate parks now and skateboarding is more popular but to be honest it's there's there's not a lot of differences but seeing this book and especially seeing it looking at it as a body of a a moment in time Mm. you can really see how things have changed. It's not just the technology, but I think it's because of technology, you know? I mean, yeah. um, now it's, uh, it is, it is a lot harder for me to sort of get pictures in the way I did then. And even in the early two thousands, because everyone's just on their devices and it just doesn't make for right. as interesting of a picture, you know, and this, this book was pre, I mean, almost pre internet, you know, 1995. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, you were watching the TV at the motel room. If you had to call someone, you'd call them on the motel phone or a pay phone. Uh-huh. And we were getting faxes of our next destinations on the trip. What? <laughs> that's just, I mean, that's just how it was then. And I think, you know, yeah. with what's happened in our world due to technology, I mean, in a way, this book is, in that time, not necessarily this book, but that period of time, the mid to late 90s, is the last, the last you know, time in our world when life was sort of, if you're dry, if you're on in a car and driving down the road, going somewhere, you just would look out the window, you know, right. or you go to the gas station and get a magazine or whatever. I mean, but you know, it seems it's, that's actually a fundamental change in just how we sort of live our lives, you know, I mean, and the world will never be the same again, you know, and I feel like crazy to think about. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's one of the things for me, that's really interesting about this book is that it's, just it makes me feel very old you know it doesn't seem it doesn't seem seem like it's that long ago but it's a quarter century ago you know right wow so the cars i mean it looks like it's the 60s or something when you look at it i know the cars look different the technology is different people always look the same and what people are doing is very much the same and even the clothing to be honest now there's like this whole 90s oh yeah resurgence the clothes are kind of the same (laughs) you know the clothes Uh clothes don't look any different but it but there is a very but you can feel it there's a very different you can feel that life was very different than you know so yes but especially the clothes like living in la i see kids that i'm like you feel like they're walking out of the 90s it's crazy like like, i know it's just nuts but i'm super excited for your book i'm like i'm everybody knows i'm not in the skateboarding world at all but i think my favorite kind of photography is is like when you capture a time or a moment or like a, a trip, you know, or that's a band yeah. going on tour or skateboarders going on tour. I just love those kind of images because I feel like you're like really capturing like an like an important you're documenting. That's the one of my favorite things about photography is like, you know, having those experiences and be able to look back at it. So, yeah. yeah. And it's I think just the interesting thing about this book is that I wasn't that, it, that was done from a very not, you know, it was documented in I mean, I guess it was documented, but it wasn't documented purposefully, you know? Yeah. Right. And, um, you know, I don't know if if people are going to, I don't know what people are going to expect it to be like, but it's, you know, it's not skateboarding pictures and kids at demos and, you know, it's much more quiet and sort of candid, you know, that's just, I think when I was taking pictures, I don't know why I wasn't shooting any pictures at the skate demos, probably because I was skating. You know, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's like yeah. we'd get in the van or we'd be at the hotel, and I'd be kind of bored, or I'd get the itch, or whatever. I don't I have no memory, but then I would shoot photos, and you know, there was yeah, twelve rolls over five weeks. I think that's not a lot of film. I mean, and from from what I can gather from looking at the pictures, I feel like I probably ran out of film at one point. 
you know? Oh. <laughs> and then maybe somebody came on the trip, a photographer came on the trip, and I mooched some more film off of them. I'm, I'm guessing <laughs> nice. that's probably how it happened, too. So it's yeah. pretty, it's pretty, uh, how I documented it is, is pretty erratic. But when I, when I made the book, I really tried, you know, Jason had some ideas early on about the layout, and I kind of explained to him that I wanted it to be, you know, linear. I, I really wanted it to be from the beginning of the trip to the end of the trip, you know? And also, I just really wanted to keep it honest. You know, I didn't want to like, there's some things I could have kind of put in there, I could have put in there that might have be a little bit more sensational and edgy, you mm, know, but right. they don't, but okay. it just didn't feel honest to me. You know what I mean? It, it felt yeah. like it, I just didn't want to try to make it into something that it wasn't. So I really tried to make it just really the experience of what that trip uh, was like for me from what I can from what I can remember, you know, so. Do you, uh, do you still have the X700? I do. <laughs> nice. Okay. <laughs> I was rooting for that. Yeah, I do. I, <laughs> I don't awesome. save stuff. I mean, I've had a million cameras, not a million, but you know, I uh -huh. probably had 20 cameras in the last 20 years, you know, I mean, I've literally had every format, every type of camera. And now the only, well, I do have a, I do have a medium format camera I just got, but all it's like, I've had this M6 for 20 years and it's like, that's Ugh. for a while. That's all I've had. That's for the last few years. That's all I had was just one still camera. So I don't, I don't save stuff, but I did save the X700 and I did save my first uh, Bolex 16 millimeter camera. Those are those are oh, two cameras awesome. that that's like kind of pointless for me to sell those. I'll just hold on to them. Yeah, don't sell anything <laughs> at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Crazy. That's so inspiring though cuz you know I, I know Chris and I are extremely guilty of, as you can see, I have like eight, yeah. nine cameras behind me. We're <laughs> gear gear collectors. I, I think that's so important, though, because if you shoot with the same camera for 20 years, you know, that yep. 20 years is going to look pretty, pretty similar. You're going to have right. a lot to, to choose from if you go back and do this again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for me, honestly, it's I, you know, I shoot stills during film projects. You know, I'm not like a okay. I've never been a working still photographer. You know, so I've never mm -hmm. been on assignment. I've never gone onto an airplane to go shoot stills or something, you know. Yeah, I, but yeah. I've been on plenty, you know, hundreds of airplanes and I always have a bunch of motion picture equipment, like a you know, a sixteen camera, some H D cameras, whatever it is I'm shooting at the time. And I usually just have just enough room for one, maybe two still cameras, you know. So for a long time I just had my M six and like a T two, because really that's what I could fit. You know, yeah, and that's yeah. also Those are good that's ones. <laughs> also what was comfortable for me to uh, kind of just bring because I can I can just wear my M6 everywhere, you know, and then the T2 right. I can just have in a pocket so I can have like sort of all the still stuff I need. So that's that's one reason too. I've always kept my still cameras pretty pretty scaled back just because I really can't bring much extra stuff along, you know. Yeah. Now, do you feel how do I word this where it's not? I, I'm just thinking from the aspect of I you you say you you shoot the stills just as like it's it's your own personal thing. It's like a now with video. Do you kind of shoot that more kind of like document? Are you more like is there a video camera out more than there's a film camera? You're just kind of like documenting that, or is it? Is that make yeah, sense? Yeah, no, it does. I, it does make sense, and I struggle with that. Because okay, I go okay. through waves of really getting into shooting stills and, and mm. wanting to capture something and wanting to shoot a still of it, but knowing like, shit, this would be better for mm. this project ah, I'm working mm -hmm. on. So I'll yep. shoot it on 16, you know, and even though I really want to shoot a still of this, like a really cool moment that's happening, I'll, I'll film it because I know that it'll, it'll better the, pro the, the, the film project that I'm working on, you know. And then sometimes I'm yeah. just like, screw it. I'm going to shoot a still photo of it. <laughs> uh, so that, that is something that I, that I sort of am always consciously aware of. You know, I was thinking about it earlier when I was talking to someone. I mean, I think once I kind of transitioned from skating into film and then started making the skate films, um, it took a little bit before I felt actually comfortable enough to even bring a still camera out. Because oh, I was, I was, you know, I had this new job making these skate films at the time for this company, Transworld, and I just felt like there's a lot of pressure, and I felt like I don't want to ruin, I don't want to blow this, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so I was very like focused on just making the best film I could, and then it wasn't for about a year. I took about a year or two until I got comfortable enough to where I was like, I'm going to shoot stills, and I could kind of bring a still camera around all the time and shoot stills and not feel like I, you know, feeling co confident enough that I knew when to shoot stills and when not to shoot stills you know okay but yeah. with that said I, i've always kept this 
the stills as personal work, you know, always. And that's been something that I'm glad that I've done. You know, I mean, I've always had sort of an agreement with the people that I'm making films for, like, hey, I'll shoot, I'll shoot stills and you can use my stills for whatever you want. Just pay for the film and processing. They're my photos, but you can use anything that I shoot. Yeah, so that was a yeah. really, for a long time, that was a really great dynamic to have because whoever I was working for got to use all the stills for ads or books or whatever they were doing but then i got to kind of continue to sort of shoot a lot and shoot film a lot and not feel any pressure to deliver any specific thing i could kind of shoot if i wanted to or it didn't shoot or not shoot if i don't want to but you know really and you guys know as as photographers it's for me the video projects often involve a lot of pressure and there's a lot more people involved and there's just a lot more to consider when you're making a film, you know, versus stills. I could kind of come home from a trip or I could come back. Anytime I go to the lab, I would always be like, oh, yes, like I always it's so exciting to get my yeah. stills back. And um, I could always kind of do that at my leisure, you know, and then I, yeah. I, would, then I would never have yeah. to do anything with the stills if I didn't want to, you know. So that's sort of how I've how I've run it for the last <laughs> 20 years or so. So, yeah, it's been it's it's. I think I'm in a pretty comfortable place now where I pretty much always have a still camera with me. And, you know, depending on the day and the project, I'll kind of know whether I want to shoot, whether I can shoot stills or whether I should be focusing on the video stuff. I love that because it kind of keeps your like the stills like like your own personal thing, whether, Mm -hmm. you know, you have control of whether, you know, there's like you said, less pressure Mm -hmm. to like deliver something and, you know, you can get something really wonderful or be like, eh, these are just for me, you know? Yeah. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't have to shoot anything if I don't want it, really. If I don't yeah. want to. Yeah. So that's that's nice. I've, I've tried to always yeah. keep it that way because I love filmmaking as well, but it's my job, you know? And right. People, yeah. I don't know what yeah. the saying is, but there's something like, be careful what you wish for, if, you know, because it's being a still photographer is hard. You know, it's a hustle. Yeah. And being a filmmaker is hard. It's a hustle and I get really burnt out on it, you know? So it's like the photography is the one thing I have that's still kind of, pure of course filmmaking is pure is pure and of course i love it but i've never been burnt on still photography you know i've never been like frustrated with it or you know felt like uh lost with it or anything like that it's always just been this thing that i've had that i can kind of revisit and kind of mold at my own leisure it's the best that's what always prevents me from diving into like photography as a job that just terrifies me because I would never want to I, I think I said it before on the show where it's just like I know how I feel about my day job <laughs> I don't want to <laughs> yeah. feel that way about photography by any means yeah I mean I I a lot of times I think when the going gets rough I think should I just get a job at Staples or something? Because it would be <laughs> yeah. it would be so much less stressful than this. Because filmmaking right. is so labor intensive and stressful at times. I mean, it's just unreal. And uh, yeah, so I've always kind of purposely kept my still photography away from that as much as I can. Especially when you're dealing with like budgets and stuff. Yeah, as I said, I have a friend who's uh, she's she's going to make her movie, and she's talking about like they're just the budget, the budget, the budget. I'm like, why do they do that? Like, do they not like have enough to like be realistic to where everybody's not stressed out and like the days are too long and this and that, you know? I mean, I'll tell you why, because filmmaking is just unbelievably expensive, you know? Yeah. Even just small music videos I do, if you're not incredibly careful about every single decision you make, you're going to spend a ton of money, you know? Right. From the crew to the location to renting the equipment. Everything with filmmaking, I mean, with everything with everything comes down to a budget, but with filmmaking, it's it's all, everything is dictated by how much money you have right. to make what you're going to make, you know, because it involves expensive gear. It involves a lot of people, yeah. right? It involves all these things yeah. that cost money. So, filmmaking is, is very much that. It's very much like a, a more of a high pressure budget centered craft versus photography is is a lot not always but you know generally photographers a lot photography is so much more scaled down and simple i mean even working on books it's like i love i wish i could just work on photo books all the time because one thing is i can listen to music while i make them i can't listen to music yeah. while i'm making if i'm busy editing a film i i just i'm listening to that film the whole time so you're not editing and listening mm-hmm. to other stuff so to like sit back and work on a book and have InDesign open or scanning or whatever it is you're doing 
and have music playing and you got some coffee or whatever. It's just like, wow, yeah. this is like a dream, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. I wanted to ask you about the the filmmaking stuff because I'm, I'm a big fan of shooting video as well. I And it's not something I did very long. It's in the last like eight to 10 years. So I kind of missed the whole, I mean, you were making videos when it was shot on analog mm-hmm. do you do you see a is there any sort of a resurgence now with that since kind of films booming again there have you seen anything like are people asking you to shoot on film more or well you know ironically i've been sort of doing less freelance film work in the last few years mm. just for a variety of reasons while this whole film resurgence has been going on you know okay i was always a big at parker our purpose is simple We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold film advocate i mean for the skate films i made i'd shoot them on film as much as i could on film yeah for the commercials i'd shoot a lot of times i'd try to shoot the whole things on film you know and then when i kind of got more into like higher level production that's sort of when digital was finally coming around like Ari had the alexa and roger Deakins was shooting digital and it's sort of like you could get these really beautiful images with incredible color space, lots of texture and emotion on digital. So I wasn't really like trying to push film early on because digital was really kind of like coming around for the first time. In the last few years, there's been a huge resurgence in film, mostly through a younger generation of filmmakers. Mm -hmm. You know, a younger generation, there's a younger generation, I say younger, I'm in my 40s. So a younger, a younger generation of DPs who are now in their 30s, right? Right. You know, late 20s, 30s, some of the best DPs I follow will shoot film whenever they can, you know. And there's a lot of film community people who actually come from skateboarding that I've found through just like, I'll love someone's work and I'll follow them and then they'll contact me and it turns out they're a skateboarder, you know. And um, a lot of times people, a lot of times they would have been really influenced early on by skate films and the film shot in skate films. So it's a funny thing, but definitely because I, and I know for a fact that film is really having a boom right now just because I buy, you know, I still go to motion picture labs and I still buy film from companies here in LA where I'll go in there and they'll say, man, we can't even keep like 16 in stock. And also, oh, and also, and yeah. also, rental houses like sixteen right now, especially is really a lot of people are shooting sixteen. Rental houses will say like we can't keep our ARSRs in stock, which is crazy to me because mm-hmm. that's the camera I first started using in 1998 when I went and assisted this filmmaker. He had an ARSR, you know, yeah, he had a super sixteen ARSR, which means it was like you know sixteen nine aspect ratio, which at the time you needed because they said everything's going. 169 it's not going to be 43 okay. anymore so you had to get your all of your cameras get get them re- retrofitted or whatever you call it to where they were 169 so everyone's getting their 43 aries converted to 169 wow and then you know 
early 2000s, everyone was saying film was dead, you know, like that yeah, everyone was starting yeah. to shoot digital. And that's when I was actually shooting the most film. You know, I was shooting a lot of 16, Super 8. I was shooting a ton with my Leica, a ton of... Because that was a really, in terms of like actual film stocks and film cameras, that was sort of like, I look back, that's kind of like the golden age, you know, because, yeah. because you could, yeah. I was just you, could say get, that. you could get, uh, I could, you could buy a T2 for... 300 bucks you know like yeah. I, mm-hmm. and i had every i had like four by five i had x i had x pens <laughs> i had a mia seven uh, i sold yeah. to a friend for yeah. like 1400 bucks when i was done with it you know and you could get any film stock then too but at the same time i and it's just and it was also available because no one was really shooting it a lot of my friends who are photographers were all shooting starting to shoot digital like they go on trips yeah. and as a sort of you know, what, whatever you would call it, like, a, you know, not, they're not professional camera, you know, they always have like a professional DSLR, but then what would be sort of like the pocket camera or whatever you would call it for a lot further, I think, th- I feel like through the, through the 2000s, people had all those digitals that were coming out. Yeah, Remember yeah. those like, uh, <laughs> yeah, was, Canon sure shot. Well, the Canon sure shots. And then there was the more advanced. I was trying to remember the other day who made them. There was these like, was it called the G4 or something like that? There was these digital cameras and every year they'd have a new one, which would have like a bigger yeah. sensor. And, and I tried those, but I was always like, Ugh, I don't like, it looked good on the back of it, but it just my my yeah. and my thought was simple is like I have like I like to take pictures because my like my pictures are more personal work and like the end goal with these pictures is that they'll be it'll be a beautiful print on the wall, you know? Right. And yeah. that's why I yeah. like to shoot I like to shoot with the Leica and I like to shoot on mostly Tri-X. I shoot color too, but mostly Tri-X because if you can really get that sort of like moment with that light on yeah. that lens and then you print it up, you, you <laughs> print up like a 16 by 20 fiber-based print of that, I mean, you cannot replicate that. So that was my no. thing was always like, well, if I can't get that with these little digital cameras, then I'm just going to keep on shooting my Leica, which is what I did. And I'm happy that I kind of kept shooting that camera and I'm happy that yeah. I still have it, you know, for that reason. So, but that, that period of time was, it's just crazy looking back because this cameras were plentiful, mm-hmm. but film was plentiful. Now it's, now it's films having this resurgence, but cameras are harder to come by. Film yeah. is harder to come by. Film stocks are slowly Definitely. disappearing. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes. You know, I, 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 now that I have two, I have two young boys, you know, I, I think a lot about like just like the, what's behind me here. It's like, man, I gotta, I gotta figure something out. Like get all this stuff scanned or find some way right, to like yeah. archive oh, man, it because yeah. they're gonna, they're just gonna inherit this stuff someday. They're just gonna be like, what the hell are we supposed to do with it? It's like <laughs> 20, 25 years worth of you know negative sleeves and uh-huh. contact sheets and things like that. But that's better that, than inheriting a bunch of hard drives. Like all my hard drives from that time period you're talking about, the early two thousands, yeah. are like firewire i'm like i don't have a way to connect it to my computer so like at least they they they, it's tangible and they could hold it anything else hold up to the light to see what it is you know yeah who knows you know i think it's a much more rewarding experience looking through contact sheet folders and seeing what's highlighted and noted and obviously i have a lot of stuff drum scan but you know i actually just inherited my dad's photo archive when he passed away i mean and it's so much more vast than i thought he he shot photos when i was really young but he probably stopped in about 75 or 77 or so i vaguely remember him having a dark room but when he passed away a couple years ago i got his photos and it's just unbelievable how much it is there. I mean, it's. I'm obviously a little bit biased, but it's pretty incredible just to kind of like flip through his pictures and I, yeah. and look through it. I mean, I don't look through my own digital photos ever. Like right. I never. Like now, I don't know. I mean, I'm not as sophisticated as a lot of other people, and I'm not anti-digital at all. Don't get me wrong, but uh, yeah, you know, like iPhoto. I guess what's it called? Photos now? Where a lot of my yeah, iPhone yeah, yeah. photos are. I mean, it's just every time my phone gets full, it's just a drag. It's like, right. yeah. Oh, I don't and yeah. Want to delete mm-hmm. this stuff, but I shouldn't delete this stuff. So I have to go through it, and I have to put it. I right. have to put it somewhere. I don't know. So may- maybe, maybe having the you know the the cabinet full of negative negatives isn't so bad. 
Definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> yeah, I keep thinking about that of like what <laughs> all of us photographers that especially like, you know, hobbyists, people that just do it for the love of doing it. I mean, I have I think I have like 15 or 16 binders full and that's just my 35 millimeter. Like where where is that going to go <laughs> when I'm not here anymore? Like what is going to happen? Well, to that? eventually everything will just be stardust. So it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah you're right. You're right. <laughs> We'll be right back with some listener questions for Greg right after this message from our sponsor. Support for Analog Talk comes from Polaroid. Use the promo code ANALOGTALK10 on your first purchase on film at Polaroid.com. Just wanted to pop in here quick and let you know about our Patreon-only developing nights. Now, it's a Patreon-only exclusive. We've done a bunch already. They're a ton of fun. We laugh. We talk shop. We develop film. It's a good time. We've been trying to get a past guest to be a part of these as well, so that's just another fun little aspect of it. If that sounds like something you're interested in, head over to patreon.com slash analog talk. It is the best way to help support the show. Thanks, guys. All right, guys, this is the part of the show where we break off and take a question from our listeners, and we're actually going to do two questions this week. The first one is going to come from Joan Michelle. And she would like to know, what's your advice or tips you would give for people who aspire to film skateboarding? This is good, cool. Good question. Yeah. Well, I think that would depend on if you want to film skateboarding for fun or if you actually want to do it <laughs> for a living. Mm. Um, mm. I think, you know, if you want to film skateboarding for fun, that's pretty easy. Just do whatever you feel is what you want to see. I mean, skateboarding in terms of films and filmmaking, skateboard filmmaking and the heritage of skateboarding videos and films is completely all over the place in the best way. You know, mm. I mean, nowadays you have people making films on area luxes and red cameras and big budgets, and you have people making films on, on Sony VX1000s, a camera that's 20 years old and Super 8. Yeah. Um, right. And everything in between. And there's no right or wrong or up or down. It's sort of whatever you want your film to be. You know, it really is. I think in a lot of ways it, 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 it mirrors skateboarding and that it's just, you know, express yourself and make it real and try not to copy anyone else. Do your own thing. And people will, will respect that. I think that skateboarding has always been that way. It's a, it's not a, it's not a competitive. I mean, skateboarding is, there's a sport element to it, but I mean, skateboarding itself at its heart is not a competitive activity. It's self-expression, you know? And, um, if any, if there are any rules, I would say the rules are, you know, don't blatantly copy anyone else and bite anyone else. Like, Find use use if you're inspired by what what someone else does. Find your own way to to do to do it in your own way. You know, make it fresh, make it your own. I think that's everything from skateboarding tricks and how you actually ride a skateboard to how you might make a skateboarding video or shoot a skateboarding photo. So I think in terms of that, I would say just just explore. You know, and have fun and express yourself. If if you if you want to be a skate, if you want to make skateboarding films, I mean that's a little bit. It's a bit more complicated, but it's also not unattainable. You know, I think it's a really hard line of work. You have to be very dedicated. I always say it's kind of like being a detective. You know, it's like you might get a <laughs> you might get a call at ten o'clock at night, like, hey, we're gonna go out to this spot. Like it's open, you can skate it, and you'll you'll have to just pack your stuff up and go, and you might be gone all night. I mean, that's sort of to really do it well, you have to have that dedication, you know, and I've struggled with that now that I have a family and I'm not able to mm -hmm. sort of like mm. dive in. I used to live the films that I made, you know, like I, I, wow, li yeah. I lived them. Like that's all I did every day up until the day they were done and then I'd move on to the next one. So, wow. you know, you have to have the dedication yeah. to make them. And I think also most importantly is you have to have the trust of the people that you're shooting. Because, you know, in my, th in my, in my, how, you know, my sort of philosophy with skate films, for me personally, people are, people have different approaches, but for me, it's the skateboarding film that I'm making belongs to the people who are on screen, not me. It's them. Like, that's why people are watching the video. You know, it's for them. Those are the people that are risking their bodies and putting so much time and energy into making these filming this, these skateboarding tricks and being in these videos. I lean very heavily on them as to like what they want their skating to look like, what music they're using, how they kind of want mm -hmm. it put together. But to even for that to even work, you have to have the trust of those people 
and you have to be someone that they sort of want to be around because you have to spend so much time with these people. So I think like the social dynamic, it's like this weird mix of, of being professional, you know, being so people trust you because you're you're there on time and you're not going to lose the footage and you're not going to sneak something into their segment that they didn't want, you know, and right. and they know that you're going to shoot it in the best possible way, you know, because they might only do this trick once in their entire life. So they want to make sure wow. that it's, they wow. want to make sure yeah. that it's documented as good as it can be. So there's that trust, you know, but then there's also just the the this the trust of like of just being a, a good person and a friend and someone that you know, people are uh, feel good about investing this much time and energy into collaborating on a project with you, you know, because you're, right. you're someone that's, it's it's a 50-50 thing in a way, you know, you're, it's really like you're going into this partnership to, to make these projects together. So, I think, you know, in terms of doing skateboarding films for work, it's, you know, you have to really, I say just, I always tell people be professional, you know, work really hard at being the best filmmaker you can be but also work very hard at being somebody who people like to be around and who they trust. And you're going to make these kind of situations better by you being there, you know? And um, if you're kind of living, if you're living out in the middle of nowhere and you want to make skate films, you know, you don't have to be in California, but I always tell people like if there's a local skate shop, someone who's got like a YouTube channel, Instagram accounts, you know, you know, get in there and try to make a video for them because you never know. A kid from your hometown might end up getting sponsored and you're the person that shoots them. Or, wow. yeah. or yeah. what happens a lot is a company, a big company from east or west coast or wherever might come into your town while they're shooting for a project and they might need a tour guide and, you know, you can show them around and you can, hey, you can shoot too. So, you'll shoot an extra angle and they might use your clips in the video and a lot of people get their start that way. You don't have to be from living in Los Angeles or San Francisco or New York or whatever, you can live anywhere. I think there's a lot of ways in. You just have to be proactive and, and just, you know, try, try not to blow it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Great solid answer. Advice. Yeah, solid yeah, advice for sure. That just sure. got me so pumped up. <laughs> Great. We have one more question for you. Okay. So this next question comes from Eric and he asks, how does video and and particular films inspire your photography? That's a really good question because I don't know if video and films consciously inspires my my photography. I think vice versa. I think photography influences my films uh, a lot, uh -huh. a lot. I use photography as sort of a, you know, a lot as, as a source of inspiration, whether I'm kind of putting together a commercial project or even making a skate film or whatever it is. Sometimes certain photos will really kind of inspire me to try something new or give something a certain look or feel. In terms of films influencing my stills, I don't know if they necessarily do, aside from maybe if it were like a you know, a documentary or something that had a lot of kind of still photo elements in it. But uh, otherwise, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I honestly, I mean, I'm sure that, that films inspire my stills but it's if they do it's it's much more of a subconscious thing there's no it's it's not a part of my conscious process that i kind of look at films to influence my still photography that makes a lot of sense i feel like films inspire me i'll get like inspired to shoot but it it's not like oh i want to like re like create something because of this because mm -hmm. i saw this you know what i mean you know, yeah i feel like i, I think uh, can relate to that films films will i mean films are a huge source of inspiration for me i mean right. they inspire me just to go out and do stuff i just don't know if they directly influence stills in that way where i want to go out and capture like some certain something in some certain type of way right yeah cool well great answer great question thanks for uh sending those questions in guys all right so we have the uh we call it the desert island camera question it's a two-part question we do every <laughs> show and i think i might know your answer just because you've mentioned it a few times but i could be wrong it is uh the one camera for the rest of your life desert island ride or die what and why <laughs> well i already have that camera and I've had it for yeah. I've had it for twenty years. It's a, a, a Leica M6 with mm -hmm. a and, and if I were to really really narrow it down, it'd be a Leica M6 with a thirty five Sumicron V4 lens. Ooh, mm. is your M6? Now you're talking. Is it black or <laughs> silver? 
It's black, and I recently discovered that my M6 is one of the first. I think it's number two twenty-five or something. It's one of the first ever. What? Yeah. I didn't know that until I I, I wow. googled the serial number and I realized it was made in nineteen ninety-four, and it's the first batch. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So I mean, I think I mean that's an easy one, just because that's I'm not like a. Uh, a gear person i never have been Mm -hmm. you know it's uh but that camera just it's a combination of uh its size and it's um just it's very it's a very quiet simple camera but it's in its own way it's extremely versatile and it just creates the types of photos that i really kind of gravitate towards so you know i i i can't really imagine Honestly, not having it, you know, I think it's just a camera that's almost become just so central to my photography. There's there's other outlier cameras that come in every once in a while. But I mean, that's been, mm-hmm. you know, that's been the camera for the last, it's been almost 20 years exactly that I've that wow. I've, I've had with me pretty much every day. I love that. Such I love, a good answer. Yeah, because, like, you know, we talk about all the time, like we have our shelves of cameras, but a lot of time that mm-hmm. gets, like, you know, gets in the way having Big too time. many choices and and stuff like that i love like a you know one one camera one film stock one lens like it just simplifies the whole thing and i love that yeah i mean that's i i once i got back into photography heavily and then once i started making a little bit of money you know i started getting a lot of different cameras and pretty early on (laughs) i struggled with that the choosing i didn't Mm -hmm. like it yeah like the nervous like because, you know, I don't, I think it depends on what you shoot. I, I, sh- I like to shoot, you know, I like to shoot natural s- situations and people and mostly people. So, you know, almost everything I shoot is something that's happening in front of me. So if I see something happening and I go into my bag and there's like a, a 35, a medium format and like an X-Pan or something, I'm like, uh, 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 that, that, yeah. like, yep. I've already yep. missed it. You know, so mm, yeah. it's like I I just fare better with just having the camera around my neck, you know. And if anything, totally. I'll, I'll have like a few rolls of black and white and a few rolls of color, you know. And worst case scenario, if it's like the situation presents itself where I want to kind of change out, I'll just I'll just get rid of the black and wh- I'll just get rid of the black and white roll and put in a color roll. <laughs> but I mean, that's it, it's uh i mean that's like skateboarding photography i mean there's no right or wrong everyone has their own mm-hmm. methods and their own reasons totally. reasons why they do it you know so you know my my photography it really hasn't changed you know like and i you know i think that could be interpreted as like oh my my photography hasn't evolved or something but at the same <laughs> time it's just that's you know pretty early on i found a rhythm and uh, an approach to kind of getting the images that really are special to me. And it's like I've, I, I have deviated from that many times over the years and tried different things. And uh, I always just keep coming back to kind of my that method, I guess you would call it. You yeah. know, it's like the just natural light, like a film. And, you know, it's been so long now that it's that's now become sort of my whole body of work. So, you know, as long as there's still film around, I'd like to continue shooting that way just because then there's a consistency, you know, with with everything that I've documented over the years. Absolutely. Yeah, that's so cool. I wish I could say the same. I'm finally getting on that train of just like <laughs> sticking with one thing and, and riding it out. But It's funny because even I would say if there's any other format that I've shot that has a end result that I love just as much and is compatible with 35 and doesn't compete with it, it's four by five. Like I think I I have this sort of uh, converted Polaroid land camera for a long time that naively I was just shooting like a Leica, you know? I was just like, (laughs) I had a a ready load back in it. So I was using Mm -hmm. ready load you know, either uh, plus X or 100 speed plus X or I guess tri X and some color 160, you know, the VC when they made that. Um, oh. And um, I would that that was actually a really like if I were to kind of introduce anything else, it might be that because that was actually a really that was a nice balance of having like this kind of four by five and then having my Leica because they were like so different. And then actually when you see yeah. them side by side, I've like up on my side, I have some of the four by five stuff I've shot and 
that those are a lot of the four by five stuff I've shot. Looking back, those are still some of my favorite images. So for whatever reason, the four by five also has been very, very good to me. I don't have one right now, but <laughs> <laughs> that's a cool, that's a really cool way to shoot that though, too. Cause you know, a lot of people shoot the, you know, cloth over your head, four by five takes 45 minutes to set up one shot, yeah. but you're kind of shooting it. Is that, was it a range finder too? Kind of yeah. converted mm-hmm. into a range finder? Yeah, it was yeah. one of those. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're neat. I want to, when I see people's work who shoot portraiture and like you're saying like they're shooting eight by ten and they're able to kind Mm -hmm. of like capture these moments on that format with those cameras it blows my mind like yeah Yeah, it's insane it's insane I sometimes like oh, I wish I would have sort of stumbled into that and gotten obsessed with that enough at one point that I could actually because that just takes experience and sort of yeah you got to work your way up to that I've never Totally. So yeah, my four by five. I mean, I'm smart about it. I mean, I know what I'm doing to a degree. I, it's like you have to have, you know, the shutter speed and f-stop has to be on those cameras. You have to be aware of what you're doing. Otherwise, you're going to ruin the photo. So I was, yeah. but um, yeah. yes, for whatever reason, I mean, just those, especially those prints, like uh, like large format. I mean, it's just so, it's, so beautiful. It's oh, I yeah. know. Yeah. Well, I guess that because this question has a part two and the second part of it is the white whale camera. It's the, you know, the camera you're lusting after or, you know, you've always wanted. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So would that would that be four by five or do you have another one in mind that you've (laughs) always wanted to try and you never got a chance to? I mean, I'm at the point where I've tried so much that um, I think if I were to have if you call it white whale or whatever, I mean, if I were to have anything I could. I would probably have, yeah, I think a 4x5 would be awesome. I would want to have a 4x5. But I think, you know, one thing I think nowadays that I would really want is probably two end bodies, you know, because yeah. uh, because cool. I have, yeah. a, you know, the 35 and I have a 50 Sumacron. And um, it'd be nice to, you know, in theory, it would be nice to have two end bodies. One is a backup, one color. I have two lenses. One has a 50, yeah. one has a 35. You know, maybe even one's... One's digital. I did have an M10 for a while and I sold it. Oh, cool. Um, and yeah. I liked it. I liked it, but, you know, I sold it. And for a long time, I've had just my M6 again. I've been shooting just analog again. I had the M10 really just for my kids. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I think two M bodies, two M bodies and a 4x5 would be pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. Great good, answer. Good, great yeah. answer. <laughs> uh, Greg, yeah. I have one more question about your book before I let you go. Sure. Um, is there going to be a show alongside it or is it just going to be the book? No, there's no show. Things are still a little bit weird. So I didn't even really sure. think yeah. about yeah. the show, especially setting up an event, you know? True. So yeah, no show, just the book. Yeah, it's pre-ordering now. It comes out in um, mid-August. It'll be shipping. You know, the first 300 are signed. I have to go out to Texas. The one cool thing about doing the book with Jason is it's all printed and bound in the U.S. So oh yeah, I've right. got to go out to Texas and sign those books before they get shipped out to Dallas. So yeah, that's. I mean, it's really. Uh, you know, who knows? Who knows what else we might do around it? But um, as of now, it's just a book, and it's very. I'm very. I purposely made it a very simple book. You know, like Love it. the book yeah. that I did prior to that was a lot more. You know, there's a lot more in the design and just the ephemera and you know multiple formats and scanning motion film and things like that. And this is very. I just wanted to keep it because I shot the photos un, without any intention of really being a photographer and definitely yeah. without any yeah. intention of ever using the photos for anything. I thought like I don't want to try to like sweeten it up into some kind of like slick design you know I thought actually if anything I wanted to scale it way back so it almost looks like a portfolio you know like just almost like just like almost you know like for lack of a better reference like the Americans just like a classic photo Mm -hmm. book Mm -hmm. just the images you let the images speak for themselves nothing fancy about it and then the cover just I mean that's why the cover is just the name you know, it's like, let's just make yeah. it, so just good. make it like if, if I would have made this thing in, an, in another time or just not, not trying to, uh, not trying to make it into anything that it isn't just, you know, let it be what it is. So very exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much. So where, where can everybody pre-order the book? Where you have, you are on website or through? No, just through filmphotographic.com. Great. Yeah. Amazing. And I have a feeling it's probably going to go pretty quickly. So yeah, um, maybe we, maybe we should have made more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, w- yeah. Where everybody check you out as well, like your Instagram, your website, anything else you want to plug? Yeah, I have uh, Instagram is 
I, I don't have a Facebook or anything, just Instagram. It's Hunt Filmwork. And then also, uh, I have a website, which is also huntfilmwork.com. Some of my uh, video projects are on there and some stills and things like that. Awesome. Yeah. Timothy, where are you? Head over to Instagram. It's at Timothy Makeups. I also did a couple YouTube videos back in the day. Easiest way you can find those <laughs> is go to the search bar and type in Timothy Makeups. That's going to be it for me. Chris, where are you? So I'm Chris B. Photo on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. I also make YouTube videos here and there. Um, we are Analog Talk Pod on, on Twitter and on Instagram. And we have a Facebook page you can join and like and share and all that, all that stuff. stuff. You know, Facebook stuff. Greg, <laughs> this was uh, such a great, great time. Thank you yeah, so much for is... um, hanging out with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it was super fun chatting with you guys. Thank you. All right, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. First off, Chris and I would like to thank Greg for coming on the show. Dude, this was amazing. Just speaking for myself, I know Chris isn't huge into skateboarding, but this is like a, a definite bucket list episode for me. Uh, Greg has been a, a huge inspiration. I can't tell you how many times I've watched on YouTube the skateboard mags, Raiders of the Archives. <laughs> I, I, it's just insane. Like I, I'm just so stoked for this episode. Super excited for this book and just all around great conversation. It was great getting to pick your brain and just hear your story. And Chris and I can't thank you enough for taking the time to come on and, and chat with us. This is this was amazing. Thanks so much, Greg. Guys, that's going to take us to Patreon. For even a buck, you can get the show two days early. We're also doing our Develop and Hang Nights. And Chris and I are both doing some solo shows. Just a bunch of stuff over there. And like I've said before, Patreon is the best way to help support the show. And for all the Patreons that support the show already, we do not know what we would do without you guys. You guys are literally the best. The best. So head over to patreon.com slash analog talk. That's going to be it for this week's episode. I just wanted to throw it out there. Chris and I are actually taking a two-week break. So we're going to be taking a little break. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with some all-new episodes. So until then, catch up on the ones you haven't listened to yet. Sound good? All right, guys. Thanks so much. Hope you're shooting and having fun and staying safe. And we'll see you in a couple weeks. Later. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.